right guys, so welcome to this week's edition of At Large Bid. If you're tuning in live on YouTube, we're happy to have you. Uh, we have an awesome guest this week. If you cover Big East basketball, you obviously know who this gentleman is. He is all over the world in the Big East. He is a fellow Ohioan to us as well. Um, obviously, if you if you follow him around, you know how passionate he is about this great state. This is Mr. John Fanta. John, welcome to the show. I'm so happy. I feel like I was the only Big East media member that hasn't had you on their pod so far. So I feel like I finally made it. <laughs> Tim Taylor, it's great to be with you guys. Happy holidays. And I'm sure there's another podcast out there somewhere. Uh, but I feel like I've made it because I'm joining you guys and you're in a <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers hoodie which just makes me feel so welcome well i knew you were coming so and they're you know they're, they're obviously off to a hot start this year so i was like i'm gonna make john feel at home and i'm gonna wear my cleveland cavalier hoodie i love it well Good. you know i'm 25 and it's funny the Cavs have started three and oh and there's all those stats out there Cavs best start in four years Cavs <laughs> over 500 well yeah that number 23 makes a, a just a a bit of a difference. Just a bit, yeah, exactly. The franchise, yeah. Yes. So we brought John on to talk a little Big East hoops. We'll probably get into a little bit of college basketball in general, as you see Taylor being a huge North Carolina Tar Heel fan. Um, so we'll talk quite a bit, but I want to obviously focus there. And I feel like we got to start with um, just all the things happening. Obviously, right now, they have 10 teams in Ken Palm's top 100 in the Big East Conference. Um, you are seeing teams like Connecticut with like kind of their origin, you know, coming back to the conference with a leading scorer like James Book Knight, who has shown just unbelievable scoring ability. A Creighton team is obviously really good, who just had a really, you know, a Villanova team who, although is on pause, is a national title contender. And then a Xavier team who just shoots the lights out. Um, we are from the hometown of Adam Kunkel. So we're obviously everyone's keeping eyes on him. When you look at the Big East as a whole from top to bottom, John, what jumps out to you the most so far this season? Well, it is Xavier because they were picked to finish seventh in the Big East. And the reason why they were picked to finish seventh is because people did not trust their offense. Their offense carried an undefined type of trait to it entering this season. We were unsure of how they were going to score the ball efficiently because under Travis Steele, they have not done that. But Travis Steele in the offseason, he told me this a couple weeks ago, he and his staff, I think the offseason before this past offseason, so now about a year and a half ago, they come together and he says, we need to refocus. We need to look at how we're recruiting. Steele knows all too well about that. It's why he's the head coach of the program. Right. It's why they, they just elevated him because he knows how to recruit to that area. And he said to his assistants, how do we get the guys that fit Xavier best as opposed to just that highly touted recruit? So they kind of, they, they went back to their roots they got Nate Johnson, who's a winner from Gardner-Webb, won a lot of games. Adam Kunkel's a winner from Belmont, was about to go to his second NCAA tournament of his career. And if there's anything that college basketball has shown us, it is that if you have those experienced players who knows who know what it takes to make the big dance floor, it pays off in big dividends. But the biggest thing that stands out to me about Xavier's rise, I expected Zach Fremantle to make a leap heading into his right. sophomore season. The fact that he's a captain speaks volumes about the intangibles that he does for the program. But what stands out to me the most about this Musketeers team more than anything else is the fact that Paul Scruggs assist to turnover ratio has is, is light years ahead of what it's been in his career, as opposed to basically one to one, you know, he's at like three and a half to one right now. 
And that to me says unselfishness. That to me says you trust the guys around you and they trust you. Xavier is the team that has stood out to me the most in the Big East. Nobody, nobody could have predicted at the start of the season. Yeah, this this team will be eight and one. They'll they'll be eight and one. Now, I think Wednesday is a chance for them to show that they are the third best team in the Big East because there's the other candidate that's coming into town, Seton Hall. And Seton Hall has had success inside the Sintas Center, and they have a forward who they center their offense around in Sandro Mamukelashvili, who has clearly taken the step that Miles Powell occupied at Seton Hall, and Mamu's been the star. So I think that jumps off the bat. Like this week, Xavier Seton Hall's the game that I'm watching because Xavier stood out to me at eight and one, and Seton Hall's won five of their last six. And kind of, and they're getting, and kind of going off that counterpoint with you is, you know, they're losing Miles Powell, and you look to maybe a guy like Bryce Aiken, who they bring in from Harvard, is a guy that, you know, they kind of peg as their next Miles Powell. But um, Mamu Kilisvele has been just as good this year. I mean, there's been the ISO at the end of the game, they're running plays for him. He's just been dominant. And that just shows, you know, the experience and exactly what you said about a credit to Xavier going after and getting players that have played in the big dance, a guy that, you know, the moment's not too big for him. And he's obviously shown that he's ready to take that leap into being the guy for Seton Hall. So. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and I actually think that Aiken is the key variable for Seton Hall going forward. I think Seton Hall's yeah. an okay team right now. I think they're good enough to see their name called on selection Sunday. They could be a little bubbly, but they have not gotten the Bryce Aiken. They thought they were getting Aiken really right. hasn't shined yet. And they've won five of six. And the reason for that is Shavar Reynolds, a senior point guard mm-hmm. who just has carried the load at the one He does a lot of things for Kevin Willard. Kevin Willard has full trust in him. It's actually been something just how much he's played, um, Shavar Reynolds, because this is a kid that's a former walk-on. Now he's a mainstay in the program. But Seton Hall, like Xavier to me, Xavier's defined by guys like Nate Johnson, guys like Dwan Odom, you know, um, even the the ability of some of their other perimeter shooters, C.J. Wiltshire, if he can give them something on the perimeter. Kunkel as well. Seton Hall, to me, what determines how good they are on a night? It's Jared Roden. It's Big East Player of the Week, Miles Kale. What are those wing players doing from the perimeter? If they're hitting shots, I'll tell you what, Seton Hall is eighth in the Big East in perimeter defense this year. They're allowing teams to shoot over 35% from three. Xavier could get a lot of open looks in this game. If they're making them, it's going to be a tough, tough matchup for Seton Hall. So uh, right off the bat, those, those are two teams that stick out because – we knew Villanova would be the best team in this conference. We thought that Creighton would be too. Creighton's been – they've been right there. They're playing pretty good basketball. They almost lost to UConn. Um, but what we didn't know is what was going to happen after those two teams. And I think Xavier and Seton Hall have stood out to me. Yeah, they're definitely the two teams that jump out the most. Like you said, that group that you mentioned, obviously. Um, and, you know, you can't go far in a Big East conversation without mentioning Villanova. Um, yeah. When you look at this team, I mean, obviously – one of the things about Villanova that's always been so big, you mentioned they have. That's the continuity of guys who have been there before. They have guys in this team that have won national titles. Um, you see guys like Jeremiah Robson Earl who have really improved. You see like – um, and obviously having guys like Colin Gillespie who have been there for a few years. Yes, they're stuck right now. They're obviously, you know, postponed with, the, with Jay Wright testing positive, unfortunately. But this Villanova team, I picked him at the beginning of the year to win the national title. I hadn't seen Gonzaga play yet before I said that, but I still feel good about my pick here. When you look at this Villanova team against, you know, a Baylor, a Gonzaga, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Kansas, down the line, 
what jumps out to you the most at what you see from them compared to these other major programs who are having success so far this year? So, you know, what jumps out to me is Jay Wright's ability to play a game and win a game in different ways. Yeah. So last year, Kansas came to Villanova. Kansas was playing far, far better than Villanova at the time. They just were. Villanova wasn't playing well. What did Jay Wright do? He took a rolling Massimino 80s approach. He took the air out of the ball. He slowed the game down. He said, we're going to hit enough shots, but by slowing the game down and by taking the air out of the ball, can we just limit Kansas's attempts and then kind of keep them in a controlled game? That is exactly what Villanova would have to do against Gonzaga. You cannot get into an open floor game with Gonzaga. You can't. Not with Suggs, Kispert, Timmy, uh, Ayayi, Nemhard. The weapons speak for themselves. But- Villanova has an ability to get the game to their liking. They make you play their way. They could win fast. They could win in the open floor. But that goes back to if you're going to get a game to your liking, you have to have a veteran point guard. Colin Gillespie is that. Robinson Earl, like Kispert, can shoot the ball. He's a matchup nightmare. He can hit a 15 to 17 foot elbow jumper. He is going to get drafted to the NBA. Might be a lottery pick this upcoming summer. You compound that with Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels, guys that are kind of those tweener wing players, wing slash forward players that just make life difficult for an opposing defense. For Villanova, the key actually is how they defend. They haven't defended as well, and now a two-week pause doesn't help. But the Wildcats have a great ability to get a game to the style, to the way that they like to play. I think for me, the biggest thing, just looking at Villanova as a whole, obviously the success from 2016 to now, obviously Jay Wright's never been – held to higher regards from his peers and fans in general is just like that next man up mentality or like just the the level of preparedness that every player has like look at a Cole Swider he's a guy that can come in and just knock down shots and if he gets it going he's gonna have like a he's like a fire or a flamethrower he's just gonna start shooting from all over um it kind of brings me back to like Mikel Bridges in the 2016 title game um I mean obviously that team is completely different than now with you know Robinson Earl being a lottery pick compared to that team but Bridges had a great game in, in 2016. He was a freshman at the time. And then look, two years later in his junior year, he's dominating and goes in the lottery. I think that just speaks to A, how good of a coach Jay Wright is, and B, like how bought in that team is as a whole, that the guys, you know, if their playing time isn't as big as it was in the middle of the year, that they still keep that mindset. When their number is called, they go in there and perform. So, Well said. That's how you build a program. That's how you build a blue blood. Like Villanova to me is a blue blood. They're always going to be there. They've become that. You win two national championships in three years, you get that marking. <laughs> right. It's surprising when they lose, is it not? Yeah. Yeah. It's the biggest thing is for me is anytime, you know, a, a job or people are rumored that somebody might leave, they're like, Jay Wright might, you know, Jay Wright be a perfect candidate for this. I'm like, what makes you think he is even yeah. sniffing like at that offer? Like, right. Well, I'll like, tell you the story. I'll tell you this story here. Uh, that's a great segue. In 2018, Villanova's down in San Antonio at the Final Four. And Jalen Brunson is in a back hallway. Um, actually, let's see. Before the title game, during media availability. And we're talking with Jalen. And a lot of the media, because there's so many players around, they, they're all in a different hallway. They're so, you know, you think about them, there's 12, 13 players that are speaking with the media. So everybody's in a different place. Jalen had pretty much wrapped up, and it was just me back there with him getting, getting him for a one-on-one on camera. And we wrapped up and we were just kind of shooting 
you know, shoot, shooting around and talking, talking things, uh, just talking about random things that had nothing to do with, with necessarily the national championship game. And I said to him, you know, what do you think of these, some of these rumors? Like, you know, are you seeing any of this stuff with Jay and the 76ers at the time? There were, there were Sixers rumors. And he looked at me and he said, all I'm going to say is this. Jay Wright wants to be John Wooden. He said, Jay Wright isn't going anywhere. When I was getting recruited, I had the same thought, like, could he leave for the NBA? He, he thinks, or at least his vision is, that he's just getting started at Villanova with a run, with a, with a dynasty-type run. And he, he might very well, you know, be on some sort of a run. I mean, I think he's going to at least get another one, uh, if not more than that. Uh, but, yeah, Jay Wright's not going anywhere. He I hasn't been to Villanova. I mean, having two puts him in, you know, the level of coaches from having, let alone having one national championship, having two puts you just in another stratosphere of like, um, you know, among your peers. Yeah. I mean, you think about it too. Like when you, when you consider the fact that he's at Villanova to stay and then he's only 59 years old, you know, like this, this guy could coach till he's 74, 75 years of age. Right. He wants to. Yeah. We'll see. He's, he's a beast. I remember, so there was a couple years ago when Xavier had that run at the end of the year with like Zach Hankins and those guys and they beat Villanova at Cintas. I remember like all the Xavier fans are like, we're like, yeah, we finally got him. Take that Jay Wright. How's it feel? He goes up to the media with Eric Pascal and they go, he goes, first off, want to congratulate Xavier on an excellent win. And I could just see all my Twitter mentions like, damn it. I can't hate that guy. You know, like, do you think he's the only coach in college basketball that misses wearing suits on the sideline? <laughs> um, let me think here. So I actually think Patino misses wearing suits. <laughs> in his Iona debut, he wore a quarter zip with a button down, and it looked very strange. Like it was very just – it was just like, why can't you be like everyone else? And a tie. He was wearing a tie. He was wearing a quarter zip. So he was doing the quarter zip look like, yeah, I'll do this new look. But I'm gonna wear a shirt and tie. What is that? It's better, it's better than uh, Buzz Williams. When I was watching the AM Wofford game, he is, I mean, it's dripping sweat and he changed his shirts, came out. I was like, you know but what? Maybe a pull over for you. Yeah, for all of us, Buzz, please, please just wear like an <laughs> MT shirt, you know, or, a, or an old Marquette shirt if you got one, buddy. <laughs> you know, please wear something that's just presentable. You're, you're, well, you're embarrassing yourself with all the sweat. Well, speaking of Marquette, you bring them up. Um, that's kind of another question I had is, you know, a win over Wisconsin in the Kohler Center, you know, a big win for them earlier in the year. They go to UCLA in a close game. They end up losing. They're sitting – they're 5-5 five and five and 1-3 and three in conference. I mean, is it just – is the seat getting hot for Woj, you think, or is it uh, – or Wojo, sorry, or you think it's, you know, it, the rest of this year maybe hopefully make a tournament berth to kind of well, right the ship a little bit? So – I don't think so, especially in a COVID-19 year. Right. But I also think that Marquette fans, like, I just don't understand what their, what their expectation is. You know, I, I, this was always going to be just an okay team. Mm -hmm. And they own two wins. They own some wins over a couple teams in Wisconsin uh, and Creighton that you'd be like, what? They, they, they beat those teams. So when you do that, you own two invaluable wins in college basketball. Their first part of conference play has been challenging. Mm -hmm. They've had a tough start. 
they don't have a loss where I've said to myself, outside of Oklahoma State, they don't really have a loss where I've said to myself, they should have won that game or that's a bad loss. Right. I don't think – I think that there's pressure at Marquette because of how much they put into their program. But I do not think that Steve Ojahowski's on any sort of a hot seat this season. And I also think Marquette fans need to understand that this is a team that had so many guys in new roles. People are like, yeah, John, they have three returning seniors who are starters. Like, don't call them inexperienced. Experience means you have been in the role before. Right. It, it, your classification of age doesn't carry the same thing. It doesn't – those two things don't equal the same. So – you know, uh, Marquette, not all their fans, but you have to you have to understand here the fact that you were picked to be a middle-of-the-road team in your league. That's the kind of year it is for you this year. You're younger. The guys that are making plays for you, DJ Cardin's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Dawson Garcia's a freshman. Justin Lewis is a freshman. Those are the most impressive players. Right. They're all new. Yeah. Continuity in college basketball wins. Don't let the sins of Marcus Howard Hauser brothers, like the like the things that you look at with Wojciechowski not living up to expectations in those years, now define how you categorize this team. The fact is, there was not a change made for those teams, and this is the circumstances that are right now. You're not going to be a top three or four team in the Big East this year. You know, for me, if you finish fifth or sixth, you did what you were supposed to do, and hopefully. You're on Selection Sunday with a chance to make the tournament. But Marquette fans, they're 5-5. Five and five. Uh, That's disappointing because of how well they started. Let's see what happens when they get back into league play. They, um, they get back into it this weekend, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, not to mention their Xavier loss was literally a buzzer-beating shot from Adam Kunkel. Like- yeah, a game that they nearly won. But here's the thing, guys. Go and beat Xavier in Milwaukee. You could do it. Like Now it's just a matter of doing it. You know, like it's there. You have to. They got blown out by Villanova. Okay, that happens. I mean, there's yeah. some nights where everybody gets blown out by Villanova. They haven't had a loss yet that I've been like, oh man, that's bad. Or so I'm not going to sit here and and I, I think it's I think it's very fair because Marquette fans put pressure on Wojo and they want to win. They want to win big. But I don't think in the here and now that it's fair to necessarily categorize it as a hot seat situation. Yeah, I definitely think that's fair. Um, John, DePaul just played their second game of the season. And obviously with COVID, they've had a lot of pushbacks. But um, the thing last year about the team was obviously like starting five-wise, they're really good. But when it comes to their bench, like that's not, you know, that's when you, that's where you get them is if you get them to make substitutions, get them in foul trouble. Um, Romeo Weems has obviously made a really good jump so far. I'm a big fan of his. Um, you know, I know they just lost to Providence, but come on, everyone loses to Ed Cooley at some point. He's the man. <laughs> so when you look at this team, it seems like they're a little deeper. Charlie Moore obviously being there for his second year. Romeo Weems being just this really good two-way wing who's really making a name for himself with NBA scouts. Um, what do you think about what we've seen from them so far? Do you think this is a year they can take a jump? Are you kind of waiting till tomorrow against this UConn game to see what to expect from them? Because it's probably a situation where Roby Weaves is probably going to guard Jane Book Knight a lot of this game. Yeah, I would think so. Or Javon Freeman Liberty. Yeah. Um, could could end up picking him up as well, uh, just because of, of how good of a defender he was at his previous stop uh, at Valpo and, and just the fact that he's taken on those types of assignments. 
I actually would be a fan of freeing Weems up and, and just taking the pressure off him defensively and allowing him to score. But if he's on book night, that's going to be theater because those are two future NBAers. Yeah. Potentially. But, but getting back to the root of your question, you know, it's hard. You have Nick Ongenda, who's really not – he's a sophomore who's still kind of a deer in the headlights. You have Polly Polycap, all-main team guy, played well at <laughs> Providence. But, but DePaul, you just said they don't have front court depth. They're down on their front court depth. So if you're like, they were not strong on the, on the rebounding uh, against Providence, UConn rebounds the hell out of the ball. You know, if you don't rebound against them, you're going to lose because Sonogo, uh, Josh Carlton, they, they've got bodies inside that make a real difference. Even Tyler Polly to an extent, like this is a team that rebounds the basketball. Well, and they're going to get a cook, a cook back soon, according to Dan Hurley. But I think with DePaul, I don't think that they're going to make a big leap. You know, they're, they're just not complete enough. Um, and, and it wears on you. This conference wears on you, especially in a year where your, your season got pushed back nearly a month. Yeah. So I think this is the ninth or 10th team in the Big East this year uh, with the capabilities of beating number four or five on any given night because Charlie Moore, Freeman Liberty, and Weems could all get hot at any given time. And that's quite a three-headed monster. I mean, Romeo Weems is capable. I wrote this today. He took control of the game against Providence on Sunday throughout many moments of that game. Like he was in total control of the way the game was getting played. Romeo Weems has to be that guy for DePaul every night. If he is, then yes, they could pick off some teams. They could get five conference wins, six conference wins. Are they getting 10, which is what it takes to be in the middle of this league? No. Yeah, Dave's the guy I want to see win. I like Dave a lot. So, well, I do too. I think Dave Lato is is a, is just a great guy. Uh, he's one of the good guys in sport. It just hasn't it hasn't worked yeah. out quite yet. That's such a hard program now too, especially now that Illinois is really good again. It's like you know they're going against them now. Northwestern, for yeah, Northwestern. You know they're the Big East school in the Big Ten area, so it's like a little trickier for them compared to the other schools. Um, we touched a little bit on UConn. You talked a little bit about those guys. And I, uh, if people, the people have been listening to our show the last couple of years, there's very, probably no one in the world higher on Jay's book nights game than me. Um, I was in Charleston last year covering Xavier in the classics. So I was there for that double overtime game. I've seen what this kid can do. I picked him to win Big East player of the year. Yes. I knew Colin Gillespie was still in the conference. Um, and so far I've looked pretty decent with that pick. When you obviously, you know, it's great they're back in the conference. This is they are home. This is where they should be. Obviously, their women's team has taken over the Big East Women's Conference, like they've taken over the world for you know forever now. What do you, you know, what does it mean to you as a guy who follows this conference so close? So one, have UConn back, and two, really seeing Dan Hurley get the pieces together to build a program. You mentioned a cook, you mentioned Book Night. They're starting to put something together there. It's not there yet, obviously, but. They're finally starting to get talent again, which they really missed those last couple of years in the Kevin Ollie seasons. Well, it feels great because UConn is that big, compelling brand who has a fan base that just defines passion and who has shown us that they can climb the mountaintop. And I think back to the fact that people have said UConn's had down years recently. Absolutely, down years by their standards. But it was only six years ago that the Huskies won the national championship. It's not like it was forever ago. And when you consider the fact that in the Big East, Villanova is a national title contender every year. But in this league, that's one thing that's been lacking. 
the potential to get to a final four, the potential for another team to get deep into a tournament. It's obviously Xavier's vision, Creighton's vision, Providence, Seton Hall. They want to do it. Georgetown once did. They've been in the, the hole. They've just been stuck deep into a, a hole. So for UConn, they can get back there. They're more than good enough to do it. Uh, they've shown us that, and it wasn't that long ago that they that they did. But I think, to your point, Dan Hurley is, is the right guy to do it. And he's been known that in the third year of his tenure at other places, he has won big. This team could do that, but he, he is building something in stores. They've got another great recruiting class coming in next year. What stands out to me the most is they're getting players. They're getting big men that uh, are just their NBA type of big men in terms of physicality, in terms of the way that they, that they go about their skill sets. That's something that the rest of the Big East, you're going to have to be able to match that. You're going to have to be able to match that type of length, that type of physicality that we're seeing out of guys like Sonogo, a cook, a cook, who will be back shortly. Book Knight's the best guard this program has had since Kemba Walker. He is the best guard they've had since Kemba. He is high level. I am waiting for Wednesday night, waiting all day for Wednesday night to quote <laughs> SNF. Uh, I'm waiting to see what the next act is for James Book Knight. He's must-see TV. This kid is high level. There's nobody in the stands, but I feel like there are people in the stands when he's playing because that's the kind of talent that James Book Knight has. I think he's one of the best guards in America. Yeah, that's to, to your point there. You know, nobody in the stands. The game against Creighton would have been, I mean, the, the arena would have been rocking. He was making ridiculous shots left and right, all falling over. I mean, it would have been amazing. That's one of the, you know, downfalls of the COVID year. Obviously, no fans in the stands, of course, but that would, to your see, he's must see TV, and that arena would have been bumping that day for going crazy for him. Well said. It really would have been. I also think that no fans in the stands has made it easier for a trailing team to come back late in the game, like a visitor. Because you just you're in the flow of the game. You're not even thinking about the outside noise, and there's really not none when you're playing right now. Right, I, kind of going back to you know UConn's obviously trending in the right direction, going back in the Big East. Some of the schools that are known for their Big East history and their lore from days previous, you know, like a Georgetown, a St. John's, and then you and Tim were speaking on DePaul. Out of those three, which one? Do you, which school do you give like the best? odds or best percentage you know to maybe come back to some sort of relevancy you know St. John's had that um, few, a few years ago early 2010s in the areas and Georgetown obviously the Ewing hiring um, hasn't been the best so far on I think even he would Pat would say that but out of those three schools which one do you see maybe has the chance to kind of right the ship and get some sort of ter- at least some tournament success coming in their near future it's a good question. I think that St. John's, because Mike Anderson knows how to get teams to the NCAA tournament, I'm banking right. on the past experience. I mean, in the 20 years that St. John's has won a total of zero NCAA tournament games, Mike Anderson has won nine. So he does know how to get it done. There's some pieces in place here. Posh Alexander is the present and future of this program. Uh, Dylan Adairusu is a guy that doesn't need the basketball in his hands to make a difference in a game. Isaiah Moore's added athleticism. Vince Cole can play. Now for St. John's, it's can they get better defensively, which is so weird asking because that's who Mike Anderson is. He has to be beside himself with the way they play defense at times early in Big East play. There's something happening at St. John's. They have an athletic director, Mike Craig, who understands what it takes to build a winner. He came from Duke. Father Brian Shanley is now the new president at St. John's University. He comes from Providence. Look what he built with Ed Cooley. He hired him. 
I just would go with St. John's. I think they're in the best spot of those three. You know, they went to the NCAA tournament a couple years ago, albeit with Chris Mullen and a program that, that just didn't have the same level of organization. I like the way that things are kind of tracking now in Queens. And I think they've brought in some players that would suggest, all right, we can get that type of, of player. We can keep that kid in New York City. There's just better bricks in place with St. John's. There's a, there's a line for sustainability for them to get back to the tournament within two or three years and potentially be in a game. Yeah, Go ahead, Taylor. I was going to say, yeah, anytime I remember 2017, Carolina played Arkansas second round of the tournament. I remember leading up to that game, I was like, you know, Mike Anderson team, physical on defense, can run and gun. And if the shots start falling, mixing with their, you know, how great of a defensive team they were, I was like, this is a matchup that I didn't necessarily want. And it almost cost Carolina the title that year, obviously, because they barely squeaked by. And, you know, I'll bias aside, Joel Berry travels and has a charge that wasn't called and we're sitting there, we're the champs that year and it could have been knocked off. But I agree with you that I, I would have picked them probably out of the, out of the three um, just because, you know, Mike, or Mike Anderson has that, uh, you know, success in the years previous. So. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would go with St. John's. I think that the, the situation at DePaul is interesting because Dwayne Peavy comes from Kentucky and is now the AD there. And Wintrust Arena is a, it's a great building. I mean, yeah. They, they've been able to recruit. DePaul can recruit. they got to get it to turn into wins. For Georgetown, they've got Ryan Mutombo coming in. Uh, they just locked up a, another a five-star um, prospect last week, uh, Mohammed. And I, I think that for Georgetown, like there are pieces in place for them to get back on track, but it's a matter of Patrick Ewing turning the recruiting into actual wins. So – I know we got a couple, a couple few more questions for you. Um, I just had to tell this story because I know John would appreciate it. So Taylor, the day I met John was the Crosstown shootout of 2019. Oh. That morning, he was at Butler for the Butler Florida game. That afternoon, he was at Cintas hanging out with us in the presser asking questions. The it's next day, day, he's on Fox covering, I think it was Creighton in Georgia or something like that. So, John, I ask you, when you are traveling the country, obviously it's a little <laughs> different right now, how do you sleep if you sleep? And what, is, what has been the best food from the road that you've caught so far on these long road trips? Okay, so, so how do I sleep? All right, so this is what's interesting about, about the, the science of my day. I, am, I stay up late. Uh, call it what you will. I have trouble sleeping late at night. Like I just, I can't get to bed at 11 o'clock. I'm just, I'm just so, I'm still so wired. I don't know what you, what time you guys go to bed, but sometimes I don't fall asleep till one or 2 AM. It's just how I am. Now I'm not a morning person. I will get up in the morning. If it's a, of course, if it's a flight or an early meeting, I'm up, I'm ready to go, but I'm not a great morning person. So when there are games being played or when there's a lot going on, I'll pick and choose my times for rest. You know, like if, if you're like if LeBron load management, I'll, I'll, I'll manage. Yes. I will manage my load from like 9am to 1pm as opposed to knowing that games are at six thirty-seven all the way to late at night. Like sometimes I, I do it in different ways. Sometimes I get my sleep in different ways. I'm not a napper. I do not take naps. 
I've take, I took one nap last season and I woke up and I don't even want to tell you about my experience in Milwaukee trying to get to the five surf form for a pregame show with about 40 minutes to spare before we went on the air. I will, I overslept. I took a nap in Milwaukee and it was before the Marquette Creighton game. Yes. The Marquette Creighton game. And I was going to, I almost collapsed when I woke up and saw that, Oh my God, our pregame show starts in like 45 minutes. I'm still in the hotel and I have people texting me. When are we going to test our equipment out from on site? I made it. I made it quickly, but that's life on the road. Sometimes there's a story that you got my favorite spots to eat. Great question. Great question. Um, let me think. There's a place in Omaha that I love going to. It's called Varsity. It's a sports bar. They have the best breadsticks I've ever had. The best. The freaking best. It's a sports bar. They got pizza, burgers, wings, your French fries, your crinkle cut fries with cheese and bacon on them. I mean, just to die for. Great, great spot. I'm a huge fan of Varsity in Omaha. I like it. Providence, let's go back to Providence, all the way to the other scope of the Big East. I love Federal Hill. Old Canteen, and Dino's, Angelo's, great spot. In Cincinnati, you can find me at that Skyline Chili that they keep open late. Yep. Um, you know the one. Or, or uh, <laughs> uh, Montgomery Inn on the Water, where I once ran into John Gruden uh, in the lobby before a Monday that? night football game that he had. Yeah, I just said, hi, John. Um, in fact, I just saw someone say, post a mundane picture of you with like a celebrity on Twitter. I think I need to use the Gruden one. <laughs> there you go. It's a good one to have. It's a good one to have. So there's a couple of my favorite, favorite spots. And then kind of my last question I got for you here. Um, obviously, you know, everybody, NCAA tournament, everybody's favorite. My, that's obviously my favorite sporting event within the world. Of course. Um, before that, I'm, yeah, I'm a big um, I'm a big conference tournament fan myself too. Honestly, I feel like you get a lot of good matchups and you know a lot of great games and you know teams fighting for their tournament berth, etc. Go hours on that. Um, I know this might be putting you on the spot. What's some of your not not has to be your favorite, but what some of your best moments from the Big East tournament you've been involved with? So, well, could be recent, um, could be previous. Like, yep. Yeah, a couple come to mind. A couple come to mind. So, 2014, I was a freshman at Seton Hall. So this is my first Big East tournament. And I was there covering Seton Hall, actually. And Seton Hall's playing Villanova at noon. And going into the game, everybody's saying, oh, you, you know, this. And I'm, I'm even anticipating, oh, this will be it. You know, they're going to they're gonna lose. We're going to do some end-of-season stuff. You know, I'll do an end-of-season column, you know, end-of-season report from the Garden. Well, they win on a Sterling Gibbs buzzer beater. Sterling Gibbs, wow, yeah. We end up on – this is my first, like, couple of weeks actually doing men's basketball stuff. I had done a lot of women's stuff that season because I was only a freshman, but right. I was kind of the team reporter for men's basketball that week. It was during Seton Hall spring break. A lot of my peers were on spring break. I mean, hey, you're in college. So I'm at the Garden. The Garden's where I spend my spring breaks. Um, and we start getting reaction from players in the hallway, and then I do a hit. And two things come to mind. One is we post a video that night of me reporting player interviews. It gets 30,000 views on, on the website, on the team's website, because people are just, they're so pumped that Seton Hall's made the Big East tournament semifinals. Two, 
They make the semifinals. I'm doing a hit the next day at the Garden. Who walks up to me but Bill Raftery? Ooh. And uh, I, it's the first time I met Bill. And I said, you know, I'm a freshman. I was like, Mr. Raftery, I, you know, I love your work. Don't call me Mr. Raftery. You know, call me the nicest guy ever. He goes, I hear you'd want to talk to me. Now, I didn't say that, but we ended up <laughs> with him. And we posted to the website. And um, we wrap everything up. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was the nicest guy, nicest guy. And that started a friendship. And now Bill and I talk a couple times a season, but we, we've talked, you know, personally things on relating to basketball. He's just the best. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you yesterday, I got the best phone call I've gotten of 2020. I'm on the Amtrak train. I, I had called to Paul in Providence on Sunday afternoon on FS1. What a, what a great game. Yeah. And, um, I'm on the Amtrak train back from Providence yesterday morning and my phone goes off and it's 973, you know, New Jersey area code. I'm thinking, who is this calling me? Now I live in New Jersey. So I answer, it's like 9am. I go, hello. And on the other end, it goes, is this John Fanta? And I go, yeah, good morning. Go Raftery. I said, coach, I said, good morning. You know, how, how are you? He goes, John, I just wanted to let you know I'm, I'm watching DePaul in Providence, and I have DePaul next week against Villanova, and I just want to let you know I thought you did a sensational job on this that's show. That's awesome. That's great. Now, now, I'm not one to talk about myself, and that's not the point right. of the story, as you guys know. It's not. The point of the story is people wonder why Bill Raftery is the GOAT. Mm-hmm. It's because he's a great human being. You know, I said to him, Bill, you made my day. Really, you made you made my year right. by saying that because that's the validation you always seek in whatever you do. Mm-hmm. And he's the greatest of greats. So that's a that's a memory that goes back to the Big East tournament. Others that come to mind: 2016, Isaiah Whitehead, Kevin Willard on the floor in tears, talking to them. You know, wow, just winning the Big East tournament for Seton Hall University that was so huge. Their first Big East tourney title in 23 years. Then Ed Cooley ripping his pants <laughs> um, and just – that was unbelievable. I mean, Kyron Cartwright putting his team on his back, great game. And uh, Miles Powell on one side and Villanova on the other going back and forth um, now a couple years back. That was a great game too. There, there's so many great moments, um, too many to count, but there's a couple that have been really fun to be a part of. Right. My Big East tournament debut was uh, 2020. Yeah, I worked the first night, and then, you know, as we know what happened next. Well, Xavier lost, and then everyone lost. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing I will always say the about this. Yeah, and John, as you know, working the garden, nothing like it. Going out of the media room, walking onto the floor, seeing the big thing, it's just, it's beautiful, you know. But I will always say this, my first night I ever covered a game at the big, at the Mass, at Madison Square Garden, the Big East Tournament, was a St. John's Georgetown game. So maybe those programs aren't what they once were, but the fact that that was my bit first Big East experience, you can't take that away from me. Like that was it. So that was awesome. Um, I can't get you out of here without some, you know, Cleveland questions. Cause I know you are Cleveland to the core. You are as Cleveland as Cleveland gets uh, your video recently walking through New York with the snow. I see your Browns beanie on. So I know exactly how you, how much you love your hometown. Um, so my first question is true or false. The AFC North does have the best group of quarterbacks of any division in the NFL. 
Well, let me just make sure here when I think about the NFC West for a moment. Yes. Yeah, the AFC North has the best group of quarterbacks. I mean, to pick a last, a guy that's last, it kind of changes week by week. Like when Ben was struggling, I would have said Ben. Yeah. Um, But Lamar has turned it back on here. He's so, so, so good. Burrow is going to be the future of the league as long as that ACL. I felt so bad for him going down. I think the Bengals have a bright future with him. And I thought the Bengals' effort against the Steelers on Monday Night Football was a validation of everything they've worked for. And I think they're going to be okay. You know, Cincinnati, you got to get two things right. You got to get your quarterback and you got to get a head coach who gets guys who don't quit. And I actually think coach Taylor put together something really nice against the Steelers. I don't know what they think of his future in Cincinnati, but I still think Zach Taylor could be an answer in Cincinnati. I've seen him scheme up game plans that have nearly worked. I just don't think they've had enough talent. That's my personal belief. I would not get rid of him. I think the the kind of exactly what you said, um, the Steelers win, bought him a another year or years <laughs> forward and then obviously what he did against the Texans showing I mean call it what it is the roster hasn't been great in years and the Steelers game was the first game I've watched uh, I mean I've devoted Bengals fan watch them all even when they're horrible yeah. it, it's it's the first game I've watched and like actually enjoyed what I was watching for and God knows what the offensive line everything you're saying it's been brutal this year the burrow injury <clears throat> felt like a win not an if it just felt like it was coming eventually and then Washington game it was just the ball went up in the air and I, I just see him on the ground I just my heart so I mean everybody did it was just yeah. brutal so but I, I agree with you by far the best the best division in, with quarterbacks so yeah and, and on the flip side with with Cleveland um you know I do not care that that Mike Tomlin is electing to to sit Ben Roethlisberger this Sunday I actually think it's a smart move by Tomlin Mm-hmm. I think we've all noticed that the Steelers, they had such an early buy because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, that they almost need to. Another week, right. They need a week to just take a breath because they're not going to get a buy in the playoffs. So I get that. But you know what? You can't, you, you don't look at it any differently. And if you're Cleveland, you definitely don't. You got to win this football game. And I, it's almost the football God saying, <laughs> okay, you, you got screwed this past Sunday. And I want to get into that in just a moment. <laughs> here's here's kind of a gift back if you will um and and here's to hoping that the browns take it and guys i will say this um i've i'm i've never seen a browns team play like this and i can tell you it has been a long and winding road to get to this point on sunday and if they do clinch a playoff berth um, it will really be an emotion. I think it'll be a very emotional day in the city of Cleveland. Remember this, this team left town in 1995 uh, on an overnight move that really had the city sad. They did go in the playoffs early in their time back. It just didn't feel the same though. It did. They had so many other things wrong with them. They kind of made it and they lost. This team feels like they could be good for years to come. Potentially. They really do have the look of that type of a team. Miles Garrett's one of the best defensive players in the sport. Mayfield's turned it on. Chubb and Hunt are, I mean, good luck. Yeah. Good luck dealing with them in a game. This is Cleveland's chance. you got to beat Mason Rudolph. Yeah, you could likely face the Steelers again. Okay, so be it. It's football. You get back and you play your divisional team again. Divisional games should be close. That's just how it is. This is the Cleveland Browns' chance on Sunday. I know that the world will be watching because – People are interested in Cleveland. They think that they could be an interesting team in the playoffs. I, I actually do think that you got to win Sunday first. This past Sunday, uh, everybody's mad at Kevin Stefanski. Everybody's mad at the Browns. Uh, guys, 
I don't think I've ever seen the football gods frown upon a team in a way that they did on Sunday. Everybody has been impacted by COVID. There have been teams impacted by COVID. The NFL's moved things around for certain teams to make things work. The fact that the Browns did not have a single receiver and were missing linebackers, were missing two offensive linemen, and you could say to me, the game plan needs to change. Baker was bad. You can't do the same things you want to do if you don't have a single wide receiver you've worked with all season. That's unfair. It's unfair to absolutely rip a quarterback who has less than 24 hours away. When he's meeting with his receivers, he's saying, hi, I'm Baker Mayfield. What's your name? And it's the NFL. So don't tell me that the Jets suck. The Jets went to Los Angeles and beat the Rams. They did. And clearly the Jets are fighting for something. If it's not to stay with New York, it's for their next job. You know, to right. show somebody that, hey, we did this. This was bad by the Browns. Uh, it was bad for the Browns. It was bad by the league. I'm not going to blame the Browns. Total screw job. It's in the past now. It is what it is. It's COVID. That's how it is. They got to bounce back this Sunday. They're facing Mason Rudolph. By God, the Cleveland Browns should win this football game. And I'll tell you what, if they do, when the beauty shots are panning the fans to the stands, you're going to see some people in tears. Really. Right. You will. Well, I believe it was yeah. it was so funny the when that tweet came out that you know contact tracing and who has to sit out it was like I was like you I would have read that with no, no, no single player I'm like it's the Browns it's just the Browns exactly the football gods it's their luck so I'm you know it I, I hate the Steelers I'm not a big Ravens fan the Browns have always been kind of the same level with the Bengals like you know, I hate not, the Steelers yeah yep. right I think oh, we yeah. all do I think the whole <laughs> league does so I have no problem rooting for the Browns this weekend so yeah I I expect that place even though there'll be like thirteen thousand there. I do expect that you'll hear them. Did you hear those folks on the Monday night game against the Ravens? Oh, yeah. That was the best. That's probably the best live sports atmosphere I've seen in 2020. The best socially distanced. You could hear people. (laughs) Big big game. If Cleveland gets off to a good start, I think that Tomlin will probably really call the dogs off in this game and just let his guys Mm -hmm. rest. The the, the only fear I have is Baker making an early mistake. And then – the game takes on a life of its own. But I really do think that Cleveland comes out in this game and they, and they win this game maybe by 10 points because I don't – I mean, unless Mason Rudolph's going to surprise me, uh, I, I don't know how he plays a great game uh, after a whole – you know, after you sit. But maybe he does. It's the NFL. It's the NFL. You never, you never, ever know. John Gruden just learned that the hard way this past Saturday with losing that game. I, unbelievable. Yeah. So I will end this podcast with this one question to stick on the theme of Cleveland. What does Mike Breen's infamous ooh blocked by James call mean to John Fanta? Wow. It means everything. It really does. Uh, I still get chills thinking about it. That was an all-timer. That is the all-timer. That is the all-timer. It always will be. That was an incredible, incredible comeback. They did it in Cleveland way, down three to one. Uh, And just the play of Kyrie Irving and LeBron James together was unbelievable in how they won that series. And and I really do wish, and I think there's a part in the NBA that even even thinks back on this. Like, I, I do selfishly think that, Durant not going to Golden State would have created even more buzz around that rivalry. It would have been more even. It did not feel even. Like the Golden State Warriors were just far better than everybody else. Yeah. And so they won championships and good on them. It is what it is. KD went to win titles. I, that's the goal in the sport, isn't it? To win championships. 
But but LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Tristan Thompson in that series was so big. He played an invaluable role. Richard Jefferson Smith was really good. Came up huge. J.R. Smith, say what you want about him. He came up huge in that series. And the block by James is it's it's probably the best defensive play we'll ever witness on a game. The timing of it. If they make that basket, who knows? But he comes up with it. Then you have the shot. Then you have Kevin Love coming up with a stop. Unbelievable game. I drank a whole bottle of champagne. <laughs> stayed up till like 5 or 6 a.m. Um, I wasn't even in tears that night. Like, I wasn't crying. It was more just like, oh, my God. They, we have won a championship in this town. We have won a championship. I think back on it now, and I, I do get emotional because it was wild. And then my heart couldn't take it. In the fall, the Indians make the World Series and almost win it. Uh, the, Raja, the Raja Davis, like – I mean, I hate, I'm a Reds fan, so I hate the Cubs. Like, hate the Cardinals and Cubs are like, I'll never ever and understand Heinz. that. And when Chapman hit, he hit that and down the left field line. I, I mean, I was with a couple of my buddies. And I remember just, I'm like, the curse is real. Like, the Cubs curse is real. And unfortunately, well, people, say me, people say to me um, that, like, were you heartbroken at the Indians losing the World Series? Now I think about it, and I will say this. Um, it's absolutely time to make change in our country. It's time to make change in our society. That said, it is difficult when you grow up on a team name, you know, like just to have to, to, to now go through that name change. I totally understand why we're doing it, and it makes total sense. I'm intrigued to see what we do with the new team name. That said, you know, that part of history now for the organization is, is pretty much wiped away. I mean, it's really yeah. – it is what it, that's, that's what it is. It's just, it's just the reality of the situation. And so back in 2016, now that I look back on it, you know, I grew up as a Cleveland Indians fan. Um, that would have been really special. My grandpa was still around then. And we talked after every game and we, we both thought this, that that team was really special. And then they were Andrew Miller was on. Yeah. He was unbelievable. It was so much fun. People said to me after, are you heartbroken or, how upset are you? And I said, I'm really not upset. I said, when Rajay Davis hits that home run, how could I be mad at any team? How could I be mad at that team? They were down, they're, they're facing a Rawls Chapman. Most teams would just give in. That, that home run is legendary, always will be. The Joe Buck call, the ball goes into a Fox Sports camera. Yeah. Uh, progressive field, it's always the Jake to me. Same. So, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, that was an awesome, awesome moment. And uh, it's, People say, I, I feel for you. Let me say this. Nobody's had it worse than Browns fans. And I get it. And that's about to come to an end, I believe. There's nothing like being a Cleveland sports fan. And uh, one word describes it, and that's passion. For sure. For sure. Okay, so I actually have to end it on this one because I'm just, you know, <laughs> everything's going. I know you've, you, we've, you've given us way more time than we asked for. I always appreciate it. Um, did the Cleveland Cavaliers make the playoffs this year? No, not yet. No, not <laughs> Settle now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, they're just not. They're not there enough. Already. They're <clears throat> they're a team that that defensively just you're going to see as time goes on them kind of give in a little bit more. They they have a young core. Um, I think Sexton and Garland have surprised me. Yeah, they're uh, good. Coral looks like a pretty solid draft pick, and Andre Drummond I think is out to prove people that he still can play. Right. So that's kind of interesting. I, I just don't know if the Cavs have enough firepower as the season goes on. I do not. I don't think they're a playoff team. No, not right now. A couple of years. I, I, you know, I could see them getting back 
into the equation. Everyone's like, oh, it's hard to lure people to Cleveland. You know, not for nothing. It, it's not like, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's the exact same thing, but for, you know, like Golden State's in Oakland. It's, it's right. not Los Angeles. Right. Okay? You know, not to rip the city of Oakland, now in San Francisco or whatever, but the point stands. You can build Denver's building. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've gotten off, I think, to a not-so-good start this year, but what they did in the playoffs was a lot of fun. Utah's done it. Portland's done it. You know, my hope always with with players is, is that they take on the approach like Lillard and McCollum have. Cleveland will will be okay. They're they're going to go through some tough times, but the Cavaliers they're they're going to get back there. They will not not to the I don't know if to the finals. They'll get back to the playoffs in a couple of years. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. It's a great town, you know. And, and I'll tell you, I love Cleveland. I have a blast every time I go. Yeah, and I'll tell you, that's a building. If the Cavs are playing well, wow. It's that fun. It's on a life of its own. It's a very difficult place for a road team to win. A, pl- a playoff game in Cleveland is a very hostile atmosphere. That place gets going with people. Really does. I went to the Q LeBron's last season. It was like an early November game. They were playing the Bucks. So it was, I was, you know, I'm in person watching Giannis and LeBron play against each other. And that's like the Dwayne Wade, Derrick Rose time that they're on the team before like they trade everybody. Sure. And like watching those two just play live, there's just there's nothing like it. It's just How was the crowd? Amazing, amazing. Like hearing Cleveland Rocks at the end. Kevin Love had like 33 that game. LeBron had 30. Giannis had 45, and the Cavs wow. still won. It you was saw it, Danny. I saw LeBron in his last year in Cleveland against the Pacers, and he hit the game winner. Fader. Yeah, I was at that game. Nice, <laughs> awesome, nice. very awesome. So John. You're amazing, man. We always appreciate it. I know a lot of people obviously know who you are and follow you already, but for those who don't, if they want to keep up with John Fanta, where can they find you? At John underscore Fanta on Twitter, on Instagram too. My DMs are open, so if you have a message, just message me. Um, and uh, you can find all my work right there. That's where I post a lot of it. If you're on social media, BigEast.com, um, at BigEastMBB on Twitter as well. Follow us for content all throughout the season. Uh, we'll keep it coming. Awesome. John, thank you so much, man. Greatly appreciate it. We hope you have a great new year. Thank you, guys. Really a pleasure to join you, Tim and Taylor. Happy New Year to you guys, to all your viewers, your listeners, and hope we do this again sometime down the road. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Yes, sir. Thank you. Let me get something.